0: Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buker. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. This is On the Ball on the United WeCast Network, and I am Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick RickBuker. I'm a lot of places. There's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else. Primarily, but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. As promised, this episode is going to be a look at Draymond Green. The flagrant foul he committed in Game 1 of the Golden State Warriors and Memphis Grizzlies second round series that got him kicked out. His reaction immediately afterward. His explanation a little while later including a firm declaration that he will not be changing the way he plays, in part, he said, because he can't change the way he plays and hope to be successful. Added to the conversation now as a result of Game 2 is a look at Dylan Brooks, the Memphis Grizzlies guard who committed his own flagrant foul that got him ejected and popped with an additional one-game suspension. It's no accident that Draymond and Dylan are the two players who have been ejected in this series. They have a lot in common. I'll explain how. Quick synopsis of what led to Green being kicked out of Game 1, for those who may not be fully aware. The Grizzlies' backup center-slash-power forward Brandon Clark went up for a lay-in, and Green recklessly, and I guess, purposely, smacked Clark in the forehead, contesting the shot. Clark missed the shot as a result and instinctively went up to get the rebound and attempt a put-back. That's when Draymond, still flat-footed, grabbed his jersey near the collar and yanked him down, and then held on to break his fall. Clark still hit the floor and stayed down for several minutes, shaken by either the whack in the forehead, being jerked out of the air, or both. Or maybe he was selling it. Third option. I've had enough conversations with Draymond over the years, and I'm sure you have heard enough of his interviews, to know that nothing he does is by accident. If he carelessly hit Brandon in the head while it looked as if he were attempting to block his shot, he meant to do it. Same with pulling, down by his, pulling him down by his jersey. Holding on and breaking his fall, I would say, it was merely a cover, an attempt to keep from being assessed a flagrant foul. Same goes for his claim afterward that he thought he might get away with just being assessed a common foul. If he truly believes that, then the latitude and leeway the league and its referees have been giving him the last few years has made him delusional. I believe he was trying to make it seem like an overreaction by the league. That in his mind, he couldn't even believe that he got a flagrant one, much less a flagrant two. It's either that or he doesn't recognize that the kind of tricks he used to throw Nikola Jokic off his game the ones that he did get away with, are the kind that don't draw the same attention as those he attempted to use on Brandon Clark. Here's the distinction. With Jokic, he's obviously, Draymond that is, undersized. So his ability to bully Jokic or get overtly physical with him is not going to be evident. It's not going to look the same way. Every big man has had to deal with this. Shaq dealt with it countless years. Jokic is capable of of absorbing the subtle hits the illegal riding him off the block an extra foot or two with a well-placed hip or thigh the taps on the arm or wrist especially the off arm or hand as he's trying to maneuver into a shot or make a pass now all of that will throw off a finesse player like Jokic but it doesn't visually always rise to the point of a foul especially if it's multiples Just little taps here and there, little bumps here and there. Green did all of that in round one and did it masterfully, getting away with it most of the time. When he did, he celebrated. If it was a turnover or a missed shot, he celebrated letting everyone know, including Jokic, that he was winning the war despite a massive size disadvantage. And on the occasions he didn't get away with it, he harangued the referees mercilessly and without repercussion. It all seemed a little much to me. One or two timely technicals would have shut him up or at least got him to tone it down. That's one of the things with Draymond. As I said, it's calculated. And if you draw a line in a certain place, then he will continue to walk right up to it, but he's not going to go over it. It's very rare when he does that. I'm not saying there's, there aren't exceptions, but it's rare. Some of the refs looked a little shook by Draymond's barrage as if they weren't sure that he wasn't right or they were confused about where they should draw the line. Again, that's what happens. I talked about it in, in an earlier podcast, I believe, about how young this officiating uh, group is. And even though they've gone to the more veteran referees for the playoffs, there's still some young ones there that have been forced into service. And It's showing. Because a crew, an officiating crew, is only as good as its weakest member. You can't have a veteran ref calling all, all sorts of uh, making all sorts of calls and not have the younger ref making the same decisions or following the same line. And sometimes it's difficult for that young player, that young referee, rather, to know exactly where the line is. Now, getting a competitive advantage through trickery on Brandon Clark, is going to be infinitely harder for Draymond. Now, that may seem seem a little bizarre, seeing as Jokic is a far better player, but it's not about what they do, it's about how they do it. Clark is a young player with an incredible rebounding knack. His wingspan, 6'8", is average for someone 6'8", which is relatively rare for NBA players, but he's a human pogo stick with not only a 40-inch vertical, which is incredible for a big, I would say it's easily the best vertical of any NBA player taller than 6'6", 6'7", but he also gets off his feet super quick. And he goes off two feet, which means that he doesn't leave himself vulnerable to being knocked off balance without obvious extra effort, like yanking on his jersey. That can't be combated with the same kind of nuances that Draymond used against Jokic. The only solution is to make Clark think twice about taking off. Clumsily hitting him in the head with a, oops, my bad, and yanking him out of the air are two ways to do it, or at least try. Dylan Brooks is from the same mold as Draymond Green. Both were second-round picks. In spite of being part of winning successful college programs, Oregon for Dylan, Michigan State for Draymond, both came into the league thinking, "Oh, people don't know how good I am," and playing with a chip on their shoulder as a result—a chip that I would say for both of them has never quite been knocked off, part or filled, however you want to look at that—that uh, that metaphor. Part of Dylan's game is also predicated on getting inside his opponent's head, much like Draymond, and getting that opponent to think about him more than what they want to do on the court. He's not an athletic freak, again like Draymond, particularly as a shooting guard. His competitive fire, though, is off the charts, like Draymond. He is fearless about defending bigger players, just like Draymond. He's also very big on being respected, or maybe more accurately, not being disrespected, again like Draymond. Dylan was the one who spoke out about Andre Iguodala refusing to even show up in Memphis after the Warriors traded him there to open up room to acquire Andrew Wiggins. So it's no wonder that he would be the one taking exception to Gary Payton II, who is known not just for crushing dunks on dudes, but letting them know about it by pretending to tap his head, as if to say, I just put one on your dome. He dropped one on Brandon Clark in Game 1, if I'm not mistaken. The referees now consider, by the way, the head tap is taunting. So Peyton gets around that by pretending to scratch his head. Sends the same message. If you watch the replay, Brooks has a bead on Peyton from the moment he gets the ball near midcourt. He's clearly planning to meet him. And in fact, maybe it was a little past that. uh, Closer to the three-point line. But in any case... Dylan is clearly planning to meet him at the rim and prevent another head-scratching session. It would be completely in character for Brooks to be the one to be infuriated that Peyton dunked on any grizzly and make it his personal mission to see that it doesn't happen again. Now, I don't know if Peyton initially intended to dunk the ball, but John Morant got in his way enough that he couldn't gather himself to get up like that he was left to shoot a regular layup. My guess is all of that threw off Dylan's trajectory, but the last thing he was going to do is pull up. So he just plowed into GP2, figuring he'd send a message. That's my guess. I plan to run my theory by Dylan the next time I see him, which I hope is Saturday before or after Game 3, because I will be there. I thought Steve Kerr, by the way, overreacted to the play, much as he did when Steph Curry sprained a ligament in his foot as a result of Marcus Smart diving for a loose ball near Steph's feet. It's a coach's job to protect his players, no question, but Steve is losing a little bit of credibility accusing every player involved in a play that results in injury to a warrior as dirty. I get the sense younger generations of fans are just as reactionary. Every time someone gets hurt, It's tragic. No, it's part of sports. Sometimes athletes get hurt extending themselves the way angling to win can demand. And I don't know when we decided that it's everyone else's responsibility to keep a player from getting hurt other than the player himself. But that's not the way it works. A player can and should make decisions to protect himself, to keep himself from being open to getting hurt. Do you think Jordan played all 82 games nine times in the 14 years he was able to by flying over guys every chance he got? No. He picked his spots. He took off on two feet. He found other ways to score. That's why the thought is if he played in today's game, he'd average 60 a night because you wouldn't be able to touch him and he would be dunking on fools every game. Personal accountability has eroded in all walks of life, it seems. And the NBA appears to be no exception. I may be old school, but I'm not mad at Dylan Brooks for refusing to let someone dunk on him or his teammates and then mock them. Especially a Gary Payton II. Undrafted, G League guy is just starting to feel his oats. I don't know when it became an unwritten rule that it's poor sportsmanship or unfair to do whatever is necessary to suffer to avoid this, the suffering the embarrassment of being dunked on. The prevailing opinion seems to be that high flyers should be given free reign to launch themselves at the rim. Why? Because we're entertained by that? Because we enjoy the sight of it? Well, that's fine for us. But, F that, I say. Much like Dylan Brooks. If I'm Dylan Brooks, if I'm anybody who's the guy getting dunked on, ah I don't see that as poor sportsmanship I see that as taking care of my own now I'm not looking to get anybody hurt but I wouldn't have put up with that even before social media arrived even Gary's dad the original Gary Payton and I think this says it all Gary Payton Gary GP2's dad said he'd have had something for his son if he tried to dunk on him the way he has on some opponents this year. That's the mindset I'm talking about. That's the mindset I ascribe to. I'm not going to be your tackling dummy, your prop, your stooge. So no, I'm not the least bit upset that Dylan Brooks was suspended for only one additional game. I have to believe he got it because of the severity of the injury. If Peyton doesn't fracture his elbow, bracing his fall, I would hope he wouldn't have received even the one game. Social media, by the way, has only heightened the stakes. Get dunked on, get your ankles broken, and a clip of it could circulate forever. Available for every half-wit to clown you. Half-wits who aren't actually watching the games, who don't know how good you are in every other aspect, they're taking that one moment in time and using it as a referendum for who you are and what kind of career you've had. Now, I don't take social media seriously enough to let it ruin my life, or even my day, but I'm also not going to invite ridicule if I have a choice. So, declare that GP2 fracturing fracturing his elbow is an outrage, and Dylan Brooks should be suspended multiple games, or for the rest of the playoffs, or some other way-over-the-top prosecution. I hope GP2 gets back soon. I'm sorry that he fractured his elbow breaking his fall, and that he's going to miss time. I don't see it undermining his career, necessarily, though, because, if anything, the Warriors found out just how valuable he is, losing Game 2 without him after winning Game 1. But I also hope he learns something, and that's that clowning dudes comes with a risk. You might just clown someone who takes exception to being clowned. You might be able to clown someone in the regular season, and then, because you don't see them again for a while you don't that's not a carryover to the next game. He's never been in the playoffs before. He's gotta realize you do something in game one that ain't right, game two you're probably gonna pay a price for it. Now there will still be opportunities for him to utilize his unbelievable vertical hops and throw down highlight reel jams. He might just need to pick his spots and victims a little more judiciously. Besides, there's a lot more to what makes GP two valuable than just being a dunking show pony. If that's all he had, he certainly wouldn't be starting a playoff game, not for the Warriors or anyone else. Draymond Green, answering a question about whether he'd change his approach to playing the game after his ejection from Game 1, not only said firmly that he would not change anything, but also said his reputation for playing on the edge, pushing the boundaries, and being an emotional lightning rod on the court is something he earned that not everybody can acquire. That kind of reputation, and he's right. What he did not say is that his reputation benefits him far more than it hurts him. When we talked about this on FS1 Speak for Yourself, my colleague Emmanuel Acho showed a clip of Draymond Green swinging at LeBron James' crotch as LeBron stepped over him in Game Four of the 2016 NBA Finals, leading to Green's suspension in Game Five which led to a comeback from a 3-1 deficit by the Cavaliers to win the title. Acho's premise is that the way Green plays, histrionics and emotions and all, led to the Warriors losing that championship and being able to claim that they are the greatest team of all time after posting a league record 73-9 regular season record. My take is that a lot of other factors led to that comeback by the Cavs. Andre Iguodala dealing with a hamstring and her back issue, Steph Curry playing on a sprained knee, and Andrew Bogut getting injured and being unavailable for practically the last three games, aside from Green being suspended for Game 5. Now, not having him from Game 5 at home, combined with Bogut getting hurt seven and a half minutes into that game, made it a walkover for the Cavs. And that set them up needing just to go home and win Game 6 put an avalanche of pressure on golden state huge turning point in the series to be sure but i don't know that saying that had they won the championship and kevin durant still showed up the following year that we would have ever said the 2016 team was better than the 2017 team just because it won 73 games the draymond steph clay and kd team Made a point of conserving its energy for the postseason after what happened in 2016 and yet still won 67 regular season games. And then went 16-1 in the postseason, considerably better than the 15-9 mark by the 2016 squad. Before I give you the other leg of my take with Acho on on Speak for Yourself, I want to mention my main sponsor, Mizzen & Main. Men's fashion wear made out of performance fabric doesn't need dry cleaning or ironing. You wash it, you hang it, you dry it, you wear it. Their array of shirts is so wide that I can mix and match them with any array of ties for my TV work. And some are so classy and vibrant that I can wear them just with a sport coat and still look sharp and authoritative. Do you like the no-tuck t- no look? They've got those. They've got them in that version as well. They are so comfortable that when I'm on camera, I forget that I'm wearing them. Check me out on FS1 to see how good their shirts look because I'm never not wearing one of their shirts these days when I appear on TV. They're that good. And right now, I want to do you a favor, give you an opportunity to uh, sample their shirts. Uh, They have polos. They have jackets. They have a a variety of other things, joggers. Check out what they have, and you can do it at my expense. Use the promo code BUCHER35. That's bucher Three five, use the promo code and you will receive thirty five dollars off your order. Shipping is always free. Mizen and Maine, M I Z Z E N A N D M A I N dot com. Don't forget to use the promo. All right. The other leg of my take and rebuttal is that there aren't too many other incidents you can point to where Draymond playing the way he has played didn't do far more good than harm. Draymond's emotion fueled countless wins of every kind. Comeback, landslide, you name it. And there's little doubt in the minds of people around the league that the combination of his and the Warriors' success with his constant berating of officials has intimidated them. DeMarcus Cousins does... No more protesting or chewing on the refs than Draymond Green does, but I'd venture to say that because he has not had the personal or collective success that Draymond has, it's way easier for the officials to hit him with borderline fouls and tease with impunity, which they do. In essence, they make him the bad guy. Draymond suffers hard. There's no comparison between the two as far as the punishment received. So I understand why Draymond says he's not going to change the way he plays basketball. And I'd say he's right in believing that it has worked for him so far. There's no reason to change. Where I think he's added something that isn't necessary is the attitude that had him skipping off the floor and inciting the crowd by waving his arms and smiling after his ejection. What that says is not only do I know how to bend the rules or work around the system, but I'm above it. It's one thing not to play by the rules. It's another to advertise it or make a mockery of the situation should you get caught overstepping the rules. It's confidence, which was always there, transforming itself into arrogance and entitlement. And while I believe working the refs and finding ways to bend the rules and talking trash have all been part of Draymond's winning formula, I don't see how this last piece serves him letting everyone know he thinks he's above the law from my experience that's when the law goes above and beyond to put you back under it all right that does it for this episode of on the ball on the united WeCast network please rate and review the show on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts a lot to get into in the next episode we've got a lot of playoff action going on The Phoenix Suns deciding to attack Luka Doncic at the defensive end. How much does that change the way we look at him? Kyrie Irving and his latest comments. I don't know if I want to bother getting into them. We'll see. But plenty of more important things I would say probably on the playoff landscape, and we will tackle one of them in the next episode, I promise. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening.